Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here, as usual, with Glossy's editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. Jill, how are you doing today? Very good. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, not a lot of big news this week, but we're going to talk about some fun kind of trend pieces and look at a couple different pieces of news that all sort of add up to, to something more interesting. First up, we're going to talk about Lunar New Year and the way that's sort of evolved, the way brands approach it. Um, Lunar New Year was February 1st this year. Um, we're going to talk about fashion and sports, specifically fashion brands leaning into the Olympics and the Super Bowl and some of the ways they get in on that. And finally, we're going to look at a little bit of the Capri Holdings earnings and Xenia's first earnings as a publicly listed company um, and see what's going on with some of the, the publicly traded luxury brands. But let's start with Lunar New Year. So Lunar New Year was on February 1st, like I said, um, which was Tuesday. That So I usually associate it with China, but it's, it's celebrated all over the world. I think like 2 billion people celebrate it um, in a lot of different Asian countries and, and outside of Asia as well. Like every year, uh, I think a lot of brands wanted to get in on it. Luckily, the Tiger is a lot easier, I think, to incorporate into cool fashion design than like pig or rat or something. I, I don't know about you, Joe. I feel like previous years, um, maybe more so a couple of years ago than recently, I feel like I've felt like some of the Lunar New Year designs are a little corny and or like feel very kind of touristy. And I think I've heard some, some similar thoughts from people in China or different Asian countries or part of the Asian diaspora. Just the feeling that it's like a Western brand just like, you know, slapping some random design on it and you know, saying it's a and and I feel like more recently there's been a little bit more respectful, more engaged take on doing Lunar New Year stuff. Is, is, do you feel the same yes, way? Totally. Well, brands have faced so much backlash, so they're being more thoughtful. Um, you know, not doing anything. It's like that's you have to show that you care about the market. This is a high spend market, and yeah, the backlash has been impactful for these brands. So um, I'm seeing a couple of trends across brands approach this year. And, in, and this has emerged in the last cu uh, couple of years where um, they're collaborating probably, first of all, with marketing folks. They have a team on the ground there who can guide them to do it tactfully. Um, but also, um, they're collaborating with local artists that uh, Bally and Vans did that. They're collaborating with KOLs like Michael Kors did, or they're collaborating with um, local indie brands. Uh, Zara did that. Puma did that. So it's about just not like coming in and, and putting something out there willy-nilly. <laughs> um, it's about, yes, teaming with an expert in the space because they live there, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say a similar thing. Um, Ferragamo designed a bag, I think, with two Chinese designers. I feel like that's just a good way to like be authentic and head off some of those criticisms of, you know, pandering or or like surface level kind of gesturing towards Lunar New Year stuff. Um, I, I, I don't think Lunar New Year is quite as much as like a shopping holiday the way that like something like Singles Day um, no, it is, it's but... mage. It is mage. Oh, it is? I found a number, okay. $128 billion spending spree there <laughs> around this holiday. All right, never mind. <laughs> well, then I, I guess that makes sense. I, I had seen that, um, you know, we just talked about this last week, but it, the Kenzo show, there was a lot of like tiger imagery. And I now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, is that a Lunar New Year thing? I thought Kenzo always had a tiger. Isn't that like a sort of classic Kenzo image? It's, that, that does ring a bell. Um, that that could be for sure. But it, it seems like everybody is uh, doing a capsule collection, limited edition, 
they're promoting it on their channels. It's like the same go-to-market strategy. Although, like, I don't I feel like everyone's trying to tap into it. Like Rebecca Minkoff, a day or a day. Um, everybody's just doing a sale in honor of Lunar New Year, um, which they're not really doing any product and it's really catered to the American market. I think it's just an a, an excuse to do a marketing <laughs> initiative or to put something out there and drive some sales. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm also seeing some folks um, making a donation to to either like um, to support Tigers or a, a local Chinese organization. Um, the latter was like Bottega did that. Um, Prada did did a Tiger, I don't know, fund organization. So I mean, everybody is doing I guess I don't want to say everybody, but doing something is is the norm. It's just the range. Just depends on I guess uh, where you're doing it. If you're looking to do to to appeal to the U.S. market, one thing. If you're looking to appeal to Chinese consumers, which will be the highest spend uh, consumer or biggest luxury market by 2025, I believe, um, then you've really got to go big. And, and I think it's useful to compare like this year of the tiger to the last year of the tiger, which was 12 years ago. And the the Chinese luxury market was just a lot smaller back then. And it just in a very short amount of time, it's become such a huge deal. So it makes sense that a lot of brands are into it. Um, did you see any specific brands or products or capsules or something that um, caught your eye? Because there was a Stella McCartney bag with like the tiger stripes on that I thought was very cool. Um, and I've already said I love Kenzo and I love their tiger stuff. So uh, did any stand out to you that you liked, even just on a personal aesthetic level? I mean, I'm trying to think of all that I saw. I felt like, you know, Vans felt authentic to Vans. It wasn't like it was with a 90s artist um, and it's kind of a cool factor. Um, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> some of them are better than others and some years are better than others, too. Totally. And we have to address that, you know, U.S.-Chinese relations, like, they're not the best right now. There are all these new obstacles this year um, uh, with U.S. Uh, banning certain cotton. Um, there's also, you know, there are tighter regulations on the economy um, within China. So in terms of what people are buying or um, so anyway, there, there are new obstacles this year. So it'll be interesting to see how the sales pan out. Yeah, definitely. Um, and speaking of that, we can transition very easily, I think, into talking about sports because the stars really aligned this year and we've got the Super Bowl, the Olympics and Fashion Week are all happening at the exact same time. Um, the, <laughs> An extravaganza. It really is. So the Super Bowl is on the 13th. Uh, the Olympics, I think, starts a few days before that. And then Fashion Week begins, what, the 10th, I think? So, yeah, 10th or 11th. Yep. And so by the time it's Valentine's Day, there's going to be so much going on. Not, there's not like one specific news story we're going to talk about here, but I think fashion has always had sort of a respectful interest in sports the way it does, you know, music and movies and the rest of, of culture, too. I do think that the Super Bowl is interesting because to me, American football is probably the least fashionable or like fashion adjacent <laughs> of the very popular sports. You know, basketball and soccer, I feel like have had a much deeper relationship. Soccer because a lot of luxury fashions in Europe and that's like where it's most popular. And then basketball to me, I think is kind of through the uh, through the streetwear, hip hop, like sort of channels is how basketball and fashion like got their, their connection there. American football, like other than Tom Brady, who finally retired, like starting his own brand. Like, I don't think there's a ton of overlap that I see. 
What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's so fun. I was digging around for, you know, any inkling that fashion brands were going to put out an ad for Super Bowl. Last year, I saw some beauty or some kind of wellness men's brands involved. Um, this year, the, the only thing I could find is that Rakuten, Rakuten um, is doing a, an ad, a 30 minute, 30 second spot with two fashion influencers, TBD who that is. But um, yeah, it's like you said, happening right on top of Fashion Week. Um, there's opportunity there with dressing the athletes as they walk in. Um, I watched the LA Rams game and like Brandy sang the national anthem, um, the one prior to the game prior to the, the Super Bowl. I'm sure there's an official name for that game. Um, but she was wearing a tracksuit that was a Prada white tracksuit. It was inspired by um, what Whitney, Whitney Houston wore when she sang the national anthem at the Super Bowl. So Prada had a moment. Um, and yeah, I know last year, Rich Fresh, who we've had on the Glossy podcast, like his thing is outfitting the weekend in his red suits. So he had a moment with halftime. So I feel like there are going to be different fashion moments throughout the game that are maybe, you know, unexpected. Um, and we'll catch a glimpse of fashion here and there. Um, but my personal theory is that Brady launched his line, Brady, that's what it's called. Um, <laughs> Cause you know, he's typically in the Super Bowl. I mean, just to have, to get in on a conversation, which is football um, at a time when all eyes are on football, that's the name of the game for these fashion brands. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of Tom Brady, I, I'm not equipped to even speculate here, but I wonder who's going to be, if we're going to have like a, who will be the new Giselle, you know, like <gasps> yes. a, a sort of fashion adjacent football wife who appears and, you know, styles their husband or, um, I don't really, I can't even speculate. I don't even, I do not watch football at all. So I like, don't even know who's popular or anything, but, um, I, I do feel like that was always a funny pairing those two Tom Brady and Giselle to me because I just <laughs> he was so like unfashionable um, and then now look where he is you know he's got his own brand um, more more I think relevant to a lot of fashion brands is the Olympics which is also happening in Beijing and I wrote this story um, during the the last Olympics in Japan that for a lot of brands the Olympians themselves can be great brand ambassadors there were a ton of Olympic competitors who were posting TikToks from the Olympic Village with like all of the, you know, Nike gear that they got, the Ralph Lauren um, like ceremonial outfits that they wear, which Ralph Lauren is doing again this year. Um, and Skims is also dressing them with their official like loungewear and shapewear and all that stuff. So that to me feels like for for traditional fashion and luxury fashion and, and even athletic brands like Nike and Skims and stuff, that feels like a much easier path into like the sports world is through the Olympics. Um, it's more international. It's more, I don't know. It just feels more fashion to me. Yeah. Agree. And these, I mean, these athletes are cleaning up, I'm sure with the free goods, <laughs> but, um, yeah, in terms of, I hear a lot of buzz about, you know, the, this is COVID is ramp. Like we know that there are, there's not going to be a, an IRL crowd like there typically is at these Olympic games. Um, but, you know, everybody's watching it on TV. These athletes are on TikTok, like you talked about last season, and and they're posting their skims. Um, so anyway, whatever brand, um, also Kith. There are so many brands that either did a an Olympics collab or a dedicated brand. There are brands that are um, dressing teams. Lululemon is doing Team Canada, like you said, Ralph Lauren, and then different brands are really um, the official uniform 
for uniforms for a certain sport like Columbia Sportswear is doing um, the uh, curling team. I think that's what it is. <laughs> um, so yeah, there are different brands that are kind of official. So anyway, they're getting in on it um, in one way or another. And you know, you have a logo there. I mean, it, it I guess works. Look at race cars. They're filled with logos. I, I guess it works. <laughs> In soccer, I know that there's a lot of a lot of like the big European brands like Barcelona, Manchester United will have like a brand that provides all the suits for their pre-game, post-game interviews, stuff like that. So and they don't have to wear them necessarily, but a lot of times they do. So like Barcelona has Tom Brown, who we are going to talk about in a second, that pr- provides all their suits. Manchester United, I think, is Paul Smith, who does all their like leather shoes and stuff. So a lot of those teams have in, in Europe, like have these official partnerships with big luxury brands or menswear brands like Savaro kind of stuff. So um yeah, there's a there's a lot to to the the intersection between those two worlds. I don't know if American football is going to be like, you know, going to turn into that anytime soon. But who knows? Maybe if Tom, with Tom Brady's leadership, maybe it will. <laughs> there's hope for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say let's talk a little bit about Tom Brown specifically, and um, since they're under Zenia and also um, Capri Holdings, both of these companies had their earnings this week. So it was very good quarter for Capri Holdings. So Capri is Michael Kors, um, Jimmy Choo, and Versace. They had more than a billion in revenue. This is something that struck me, Jill, looking at this, and maybe I'm like just imagining this, but I was surprised at the disparity between Michael Kors and the other two brands. Michael Kors is like over a billion dollars, and Versace is like barely a quarter of that, and Jimmy Choo is even less than that. And I knew, obviously, that, like, Michael Kors was huge. But I don't know. I kind of thought at least Versace would be bigger. Or maybe I'm, I don't know. Is that surprising to you? It was a little bit. But, like, think about, yes, how it's so mass. And I think that if you look at the growth, there's a lot of talk about, you know, Michael Kors overall Gosh, you say Capri. <laughs> Capri is what I say. Anyway, Capri, Capri Holdings. Um, their re- revenue, um, it increased 24% for the quarter compared to last year. Um, mm. Everybody, you know, Jimmy Choo, that was a 47% increase. Michael Kors was the lowest. It was like the weakest link in ter- terms of growth at only 20%. Um, so there was, mm. a, there was talk about the goal is to return the brand to its precious glory of in-demand um, glory days of in-demand handbags and sought-after designs. So um, it's like, I feel like it's diluted or that di- the brand has become like, it's diluted in the space. Like there's so much of it. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's gonna, it's hurting it. There's a new CEO that was named in August um, that's gonna be taking over for all of Capri Holdings in September um, that is really, I think, charged with turning the brand around um, despite its, its current uh, size, I mean, it I, it might be dwindling. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a, a relative dwindling, like even if it's bigger in volume, like raw volume, it's still like sort of a relative thing. Yeah, and I, and I think the purchase of Versace, which was 2018, I believe, um, for like $2 billion, was to me read like Michael Kors trying to sap some of their, uh, not sap, but borrow some of their like luxury legitimacy and kind of position themselves sort of in that same space still. Um, and I, I don't like want to badmouth Versace or anything, but do you feel like they've, they've flourished under Michael, like under Capri or sort of 
languished a little bit. I don't know. I mean, creatively, I feel like there's still a lot of cool stuff. The Fendachi collaboration, which we talked about, was very fun. But I'm like, if they were not part of company, do you think they might be more likely to be in the same, like, you know, talked about in the same breath as like an LVMH brand or something? Um, I don't know. I just feel like they're sort of like, you know, gathering dust over there. <laughs> that's interesting. I mean, I there hasn't been maybe a collection that's caught my eye or that I've been, I mean, other than the obvious collab. Um, but I would say, I mean, there is, there are signs that it's doing very well. Um, they'll be raising prices, like you said, that Jimmy Choo already did. Um, Michael yes. Kors. Yeah. And also um, expanding the retail footprint to 300 stores from 212, um, 212 as of December. So I think that's in the upcoming year, which that's huge growth. Go baby. Um, So again, maybe they'll rethink that if they think that Michael Kors is becoming too, I guess, mass or mainstream, maybe that will um, hurt the exclusivity or the, the luxury luxuriness <laughs> of it all. But luxuriousness. Um, that's, luxuriousness. That's the plan. So they're in growth mode for sure. Um, so I don't know. No, that's a good point. And speaking of growth mode, let's talk a little bit about Xenia. So Xenia had their first earnings since going public. Um, and it was very good for them as well. I mean, over a billion dollars in revenue, although that's for the entire year, whereas Capri was just for the last quarter. Um, and Tom Brown, which is smaller than Xenia, was like really the star of the show there. I mean, that also had a 47% growth. Um, they've opened a ton of stores. Um, I think they have 80 stores now and are planning to open a hundred more. So it seems like that's going very well for them and you know, in the couple months since they've been public. Agree. You know I'm such a Tom Brown fan. Um and yes, what was interesting about Xenia to me was that um, you know, it's not yet at uh, pre-pandemic sales levels. Um, Capri Holdings w- was like, eh, maybe, I don't know, uh, slightly above pre-pandemic levels, I would say. Um, but so that's where it's struggling. But yeah, Tom Brown was the star. Also, um, Xenia took a, a majority stake in Tom Brown in, when was it? 2018. 2018 and at that point, yeah. Yeah, it expanded to China, and that's really where it's seeing great growth. So um, it, it has much growth to do, I would say, in terms of um, global global sales. Uh, it's it's definitely hot right now. Yeah, definitely. Although I, I got to say, when I saw the the proposed 180 store like number, to me, it, like I don't think physical retail is like dead or a bad investment or anything, but that does seem like a whole lot of stores. And a lot of times when I, the times that I've written sort of postmortems or autopsies or whatever you call them on brands, a thing that comes up a lot is like overextension. Um, and, you know, investing and growing and investing in your own growth is a good thing. And that's like how you grow and that's good. Um, but I, when I saw that number, I was a little bit like, that is a lot of stores and stores are very <laughs> expensive. But I mean, now they've got Zenia money. So I guess maybe they can afford it. And staffing those stores. What a headache. <laughs> um, yeah, for yeah, sure. Absolutely. And it's interesting, like you said, they're rolling out. Um, I, they're obviously going for more direct sales. Um, I think that it was the CEO of Xenia that said, you know, they they pointed to they reduced their wholesale footprint, so wholesale was only up by fourteen percent this quarter. Um, that's where they kind of lost traction. Um, but that was like I don't know, expected, I guess, because yeah, f- fewer sales channels. Yeah, for sure. 
Well, last thing I'll say is just shout out to Xenia uh, for being the only very expensive suit that I own is a Xenia suit. Um, <laughs> that and says it served, something. It has served me very well, much better than some of the like cheapo like fast fashion suits I have bought in the past. So thank you, Ermenegildo, <laughs> wherever you are. Why did you choose Xenia? I got to know. This sounds like a commercial, but like, what about it? <laughs> I got to admit, the first thing that caught my eye was just, I love the name Ermenegildo. I think it's a very cool name. Um, I love a good, long, like Baroque sounding Italian name. Um, I have an uncle named Giacomo, so I always like names <laughs> so like that. Um, but uh, I think it's just the, I, I, it's a nice suit, so I don't want to say it's totally for superficial reasons, but it was just, I wanted to splurge and get myself a nice Italian suit. So thank you to Romano Gilda for that great suit. <laughs> and maybe next time you'll get a Tom Brown suit with a kilt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a very tiny Tom Brown suit with the stripes. Okay, well, thank you so much, Jill. It's always great talking to you, and we'll be back next week. Thank you. Thank you.